You're listening to The Road to Philanthropy with Gary Cohn, a podcast series on giving and working with nonprofits. This podcast is produced by Painted Rock Advisors, a consulting hub providing services to the philanthropic and nonprofit communities. We bring together your values and wealth with opportunities to do good work and make the world a better place. What can we do to help you? Contact us at paintedrockadvisors at gmail.com. Hi, this is Gary Cohn, and welcome to The Road to Philanthropy, a podcast series on everything in the nonprofit, business, and philanthropic world. Today we have a very special guest, Barry Cohn. I have known Barry for almost 68 years, and in the past we collaborated, we studied together, and we share the same birthday. He is my older brother, whose accomplishments and visions make him the perfect guest for our show. Barry Cohn is the Chief HR Guy at Jorgensen HR, an HR consulting firm headquartered in Santa Clarita. Jorgensen HR assists 150 employers with outsourced HR, retained HR services, HR assessments, affirmative action plans, workplace investigations, and almost everything HR except recruiting. Jorgensen HR is also the preferred HR firm for 16 employment attorneys in law firms around the city. Barry serves on the board of directors of the Valley Industry and Commerce Association and the Valley Economic Alliance. He has chaired three Light the Night Walks, raising money for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. He has also served on the board and the executive committee of Shomere Torah Synagogue for eight years, the UCLA Alumni Association Executive Committee, and the Board of Directors and the UCLA Foundation. Barry is a member of Provisors, the Jewish Business Leaders, Professionals in Human Resources Management, Society of Human Resource Management, and the National Human Resource Association and the Ventura County Affiliate. Barry holds a bachelor's degree in economics from UCLA, Go Bruins, and an MBA from Pepperdine University. He and his wife, Renee, reside in the West Hills area of California and with their golden doodle, Mish. They have five children who are resp- responsive, productive members of society and off the payroll, as he says. His interests include the L.A. Dodgers, reading mysteries and spy novels, nonfiction, film noir, and all types of music except opera and hip-hop. Welcome, Barry. Thank you very much. What a great introduction. Well, you wrote it. I just read it. <laughs> Can you share with us a little bit about your path from student to businessman and the leader that you are today? Well, I guess I start with the fact that both of us have been working since we were like 13 or 14. When we went to college and when I went to college, I basically worked three part-time jobs, five days a week. And I went to UCLA Tuesdays and Thursdays. Didn't have the normal college experience. Uh, didn't go to ball games, didn't go to parties, didn't go to dorm activities or, or frats. And I basically had this vision of graduating college and going into the business world. Originally, I wanted to be a criminal defense attorney because we have a cousin who was a criminal defense attorney. But my first year of college, I met a, uh, a girl from our synagogue that uh, I dated for three years. Her father was a bank president and I got brainwashed. So I went into banking for 25 years. I worked with hundreds of companies, manufacturers, distributors, nonprofits, what have you. Uh, and I got the urge to be in my own business. And uh, about 22 years ago, my wife, who had started an employee benefits firm, 
after 16 years at Blue Cross of California, um, asked me to join her and grow the business. And that's how I got into the business world. When you were growing up and before you entered the world of banking, what were some of the interesting jobs that you held? Well, my first job, I, I never delivered papers and I never mowed a lawn. But I went to the apartment buildings uh, on the street we lived at because we lived in apartments all our life. And I went to the managers and asked them for jobs. So the first and most interesting job was emptying trash cans on a three-story apartment building. They had three trash chutes from, for the second and third floor. They had six cans in each room, and I had to empty them every day, 18 cans into a, jumps, a dumpster. And I also had to unplug the trash chute if it got stuck, putting my arm up there and you know, emptying the trash. But they paid me $5 a day when the minimum wage was $2.09 an hour. And I was able to do it in 15 minutes. And that was my first job and most interesting job. And in college, did you work uh, during college, you said? What did you do then? Well, mostly Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I worked in a bank. And I was what was known as a Monday, Friday teller. I did everything in a branch that had to get done. And I, I did that for four years. Uh, and then on the weekends, I, I taught Hebrew school, religious school, and two departments for kids to make up the, uh, the extra hours to go full time. So in, in your banking career, what were some of the most important things you learned in banking that led you to be a business owner? I think the most important thing I learned was to ask questions and listen. As a banker, you go out and you meet business owners and business owners love to tell you about what they do. So you ask them, you know, tell me about your business and how you got started and you listen. And then you ask questions about their business, about manufacturing or distribution or you know, the challenges they have and what, they, what keeps them up at night. And you just put that in your brain and you learn a lot over 25 years. And um, I think that's the best thing I learned in, in banking. Who were some of your mentors growing up in the banking world and the business world? Well, I would say I had two mentors. First was Leonard Weil, who was the president of Manufacturers Bank. And uh, he's the person I met when I started dating his daughter. Um, he went to UCLA also. He was an econ major also. He put himself through school. Uh, we had a lot in common and he was sort of like a role model um, so when I graduated college and I wanted to go into banking and I applied at all the major banks in LA, I, I went to him to ask him for advice as to where I should go. And uh, that's how I got to Union Bank. When I got to Union Bank, after my first uh, year or so, I was downtown LA in their original branch. And I had a, a couple of people I worked for for the next 22 years. Um, Joe Sanford, who was president of the bank, and Tom Savage, who was chief credit officer. And I think that those were mentors in both business, banking, and in personal life. life what is the biggest challenge you faced in your career? I think the biggest challenge I faced was, in my estimation, impatience. You know, when you, when you work your way through high school and college and you get into banking and you already have a work ethic and you're working real hard, um, I had a lot of impatience with people that didn't work hard, that didn't really do their best. And I think that was my, my biggest challenge was learning how to be patient with people that I worked with. And then as I got promoted, that worked for me. That, you know, I'm one of those people that uh, I believe working really hard, having a great work ethic, doing the right thing for our clients and being the best I could be. And not everybody's like that. And that posed challenges. One of the 
questions that are raised today in the working world with millennials uh, is that they don't have the work ethic that we all did when we grew up. Do you find that to be true or is that just a myth? I think it's a broad generalization about millennials. And, and I think that for a, a number of years, I also believe that. And then I saw a video from Simon Sinek about millennials and the fact that, you know, they grew up very differently than our generation grew up. They were enabled uh, in certain respects and they didn't have some of the challenges some of us had growing up. And that as employers, uh, we have to recognize where they're at, where they came from and how we get them to where we want them to be. So uh, I guess that's the best answer I can give you. Well, that's, that's a pretty good answer. Why don't you tell us who Simon Sinek is for my listeners that may not know? I think Simon Sinek is a, an author, a podcaster who uh, talks about businesses and, and running a, a better businesses. And he has uh, his famous expression is, what's your why? Why are you in business? You're not in business to make money. Uh, you're not in business to make a product. You're in business for some reason. And you have to know what your why is. And that's what millennials want. They want to have an impact on the world. They want to know that what they do day to day has an impact on people. Um, and, and that's kind of where he comes from. And, and I would just suggest that if you haven't read him, seen his podcast, I, I would definitely check it out. What excites you about the work you do? I think what excites me about the work that we do at Jordanson HR is that we help employers and their employees. Uh, and, our, and our why is to really make sure that employers are doing the right thing compliance with labor laws and also doing the right thing by their employees. If we run across a prospective client that really doesn't care about their employees and doesn't want to treat them the right way, we probably will never take that on as a client. So I think that we like to help employers and their employees and, and do the right thing. You are listening to The Road to Philanthropy. We're going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors. We'll be right back. Let's turn a little bit now to philanthropy. Uh, when did you first get engaged in, uh, in volunteering or giving? Well, I think the way we got involved in giving, and, and I got to give a, a little preface to this, is that we did not grow up uh, with a lot of money. We grew up kind of poor. Uh, we've both been working since we were 13 or 14. But every Sunday morning when we went to Hebrew school and we started at nine years old on, uh, our parents gave us a quarter to put in the tzedakah envelope, the charity envelope. And even though we had hand-me-down clothes and hand-me-down furniture and, you know, had to work really hard during high school, we still gave money because that's the way it is in our tradition to help people that are less fortunate than yourself. So that's how I kind of started giving. And then I got involved in philanthropy when I got involved in the banking world. The president of our bank, basically, well, before the president, before he started First Business Bank, when we were still at Union Bank, he said, hey, I'm involved in a couple of charities. I want you to come along with me. And that started a 25-year uh, history or, or 25 years of experience in charitable endeavors, including the City of Hope, where I started out as in committee work and moved up and eventually chaired a group that had an annual dinner at the Beverly Hilton Hotel with a thousand people and raised approximately a million dollars a year for the city of Hope. And it all started because my boss said, hey, come with me to this meeting. And then that, came, that got me involved in um, other uh, nonprofits, including UCLA. I mean, I'm the first, well, let me go straight that. We're the first people in our family to go to college. And although we had to put ourselves through school, UCLA provided an opportunity. 
So I started working with the UCI Alumni Association and then expanded to the UCI Foundation and uh, shared a number of uh, Dinner for 12 Strangers where we invited uh, students into our home for dinner once a year. And so things just kind of expanded from there to where eventually, you know, I'm working with three or four different charities. It's just part of the way, part of life and part of the way I made. Now, when you did your volunteering and your work with City of Hope, you were in a group of people, which at one point was professions and finance associates and then became the merchants or, uh, or association. What was your interaction with the people in that group and, and what were the relationships you built? Well, I think that a lot of companies, the professions and finance associates were uh, companies that were involved in the garment industry, bankers, CPAs, factors, lawyers. And I think that, you know, we ended up meeting people that were our age and when their bosses said to their employees, come join this group. And then over the years, we developed relationships. The, my CPA firm now that handles my company, as well as my personal, somebody I met at the city of Hope, you know, 30 plus years ago, I'm involved with some attorneys that I met in the city of Hope. Uh, and I just think that, you know, it's a, it's a way of great way of doing charitable work, building relationships and friendships and expanding the horizon of what you do. Now, I know you've been involved in some other charitable organizations, uh, volunteer work that wasn't listed in your bio. So let's talk about a couple of those. One being uh, Jewish Big Brothers uh, of Los Angeles. How did you get involved in that? And uh, what was that relationship like? Right after college, I joined um, a Jewish Federation group called, I think it was Jewish business leaders or young executives or something like that. And I met a guy named Dave Baum, and he was a Jewish big brother. And based on the way we grew up, our father worked six days a week. His day off was Thursday. Uh, we never got to go to play ball with him or go to concerts with him or go to the zoo or whatever. He was always working. And uh, I wanted, uh, I, I learned about Jewish big brothers and I wanted to help uh, a little brother whose father wasn't around. So I met a boy when he was eight, Adam Sternberg. I was there when he had his bar mitzvah. I was there at Little League. I was there at soccer. I saw him at his college graduation. Uh, we were, I was a big brother for 12 years. Uh, we met every other week for four to six hours. It's a great experience. Adam now, he became a, a big brother himself before he had a family. And he is in the Las Vegas area with a great career and has a couple daughters and you know, we're still in touch. And I met him probably when I was 28, which would be about 40 years ago, almost 40 years ago. Very good story. Now, also, you've been involved in the YMCA in the Valley. How did that get uh, get to you? Well, YMCA had a program called Indian Guide. But now you can't use the word Indian, so I don't, I'm not sure what it's called. But Indian Guides, when my son was five, we had troops and we did activities together. Uh, craft activities and camping activities. And uh, the YMCA has an annual support campaign and I was asked to raise $100 as every father was in the Indian Guides. And I made the mistake of raising $500. And then I got a phone call from a woman named Jane Stanton, who was the chair of the Y, who said, hey, let's have breakfast together. And 20 years later, I was still on the Y board. I was chairman for five years. Uh, we helped build a brand new Y in Porter Ranch, California. And as soon as the Y was built, I moved away from that area and uh, moved 15 miles away. I never really went to that Y. But um, I was on the board for 20 years, uh, treasurer, finance committee, uh, and chairman. And that's how I got involved. And my wife and I uh, 
sold a business uh, almost two years ago, which was a company called Really Great Employee Benefits. And over the previous 20 years, we always gave money to the Kids Camp campaign, and which we are now still doing uh, with some money from the Santa Barbara. Very good. In your philanthropic involvement in giving, what type of organizations interest you? Uh, obviously, you've done work with Big, Bro- little, big Brothers, Little Brothers, uh, the YMCA. Uh, what other areas interest you? Well, I think the biggest area that interests me now, and we're putting all of our resources to, are sending kids to summer camp that could not afford to go without help. We grew up in a large synagogue, and all of our friends went to summer camp every single year. Uh, We did not. We went for one week in 1966, and then we got a campership uh, to go when we were in the 10th grade. And I think camp had a very big impact on my life and probably your life. And uh, so I think it's really important to send kids to camp. So when we sold our business, uh, we set up a charitable trust uh, and we're sending 20 kids to camp every summer. Um, There is one child to a camp that we went to, Camp Ice Kramer, Finley Hilltop Camp. There's one child to Camp Ma, where all our daughters went to. Uh, there's one child that gets to go to Israel every summer on a U.S. wide program. And then there's about 17 or 18 kids that get to go to the YMCA kids camp program up in the mountains. So we're probably sending about 20 kids to camp every summer, and, and that's where our efforts are right now. Obviously, relationships are important in your life. I know that my camp counselor, when I was in 1966 or whenever that was i was in the sixth grade we're still friends today what is the importance of relationships in life and in business well i think relationships are like the most important thing and it's relationships with people in your business circle in your spiritual circle if you're involved in a church or synagogue and in your family and and friends I, i had a bank client uh which i met Actually, they were a bank client of yours first before they sold their company. We started a new company, and I, I became their banker for probably 15 years. They were from Taiwan, and they had a, a quote that was really important that was on their wall. And it was, if you take care of your employees, they will take care of your business. And what they basically taught me was you need to take care of your vendors, you need to take care of your clients, you need to take care of your employees. And if you work in this world by taking care of people and doing the right thing, everything works out. So I think relationships are really important. I think connecting people is really important. Um, so, you know, the, the least I can do with my large Rolodex, if we can still call it a Rolodex, although it's on a computer, is uh, introduce people to other people and help them. And I think that's the best thing about relationships. And I'll give you an, a quick example. For the last five years, there was a guy, every morning I go to Starbucks in my neighborhood, there's five or six people that are there every morning at 6.30. And one of the baristas was a guy named Tony. He was going to Cal State Northridge in IT. And I said, hey, when you finally graduate, you know, touch base with me, I, I work with three IT firms. Well, he first got a job at Harbor Freight and he's been there over a year. And recently he connected with me because He's not real happy with where they're going, what he's doing. He wants to do, he wants to grow and expand. And I just introduced him to two HR firms and he's interviewing right now for a position. So all I had to do is make an email introduction and he's got uh, some opportunities. 
I think it's all about relationships. So over your career, you've had many relationships, board members with clients, professionals. Uh, what was one of your favorite experiences in, uh, with, with a relationship? That's a great question. I've never thought about that before. But I think, you know, I think the, the story I told about my client, who actually was in Orange County, the two Taiwanese guys, without mentioning their names and, and the name of their company, I think that was a relationship that had a very big impact on how I do things. Um, because I learned a lot from them. You know, I learned a lot about how you treat people. Uh, I learned a lot about how you treat um, people you do business with. And I think that once I worked with them for a number of years, I had a different perspective on, on life. I think I know who you're talking about, and I had a very nice relationship with them too, I think. From what I understand, since when I met them, they said, oh, if you're Gary's brother, we're definitely going to bank with you. So that was probably the easiest solicitation I ever had. But, but I got to be honest, when I met them, uh, they were doing $11 million in sales. And when I left them as a banking relationship, they had sold their company for a billion dollars. And the one thing they did immediately was they gave, I think it was $10 million to all their employees. Um, and every employee was, was rewarded. So, you know, I learned a great lesson from them. So when we sold our employee benefits company two years ago, every employee got a chunk of money that they were not expecting. Um, and when you add all that up, it was probably over uh, between 100 and $200,000. And my wife and I just said, that's the right thing to do because without those employees, we never would have got where we went. And I learned that from those guys too. Well, there's an old saying that says, you know, never burn your bridges when you're climbing up the ladder because you might come down. I think the other thing that you learned uh, in your experience and what you've talked about today is take care of people uh, that are around you. Very true. It's very important. You know, I look at our, our staff and, you know, we're still working in the employee benefits business too for, we, we agreed to a three-year term. Uh, we have one person here who's been with us 18 years, one 14 years. One moved to Lancaster, Palmdale from LA, which could be a two hour drive during rush hour. And she works remotely, but she'll be in here today at our benefits office in the morning. And the bottom line was that, you know, you, you develop relationships and you treat people the right way. You know, all the staff we have have been with us, you know, 10 to 20, almost 20 years. When you're not working, what do you like to do? When I'm not working, I think the number one thing I'm doing right now, probably partly because of COVID, is I'm reading one or two books a week. I love, as the introduction you mentioned, with spy novels and, and mysteries and police procedurals. But I also read uh, one Jewish book uh, on a topic. I also read uh, a business book and a nonfiction. So I always have four books going, uh, either one after another or at the same time. That's just the way I am. Um, I like old movies, especially film noir. So I like to, to watch old movies, even if I've seen them 20 times. I like uh, outside activities like walking and hiking. I miss playing golf, which I did before I joined my wife's company and left banking. So I'm looking forward to taking that on again. But I think that some of the activities that I do in my hobbies, you know, during COVID, I needed a hobby. So I started working with succulents. And I am growing succulents in our backyard. And um, uh, I'm doing an okay job of it. I haven't killed too many because um, succulents are easy to grow. But um, learning about them and learning about feeding them and watering them has been a good hobby also. So since we are twins and we do have some similarities 
after all these years. I was asked recently by someone close to me, how can you watch a movie 50 times and still enjoy it? But why don't you answer that question? Well, let's see if I answered it similarly the way you answered it. Uh, I think that every time you watch a movie, you see something you didn't see before, you find something that you go, I didn't know that. And um, that's part of it. And just part of it's enjoying the, the dialogue and the character and the characters, the dialogue and how the movie was put together. I think that's really important. I think that you, people don't realize the, the skill involved with the, with the directors in the 30s, 40s, 50s, et cetera. And I'll just give you an example. Um, at the end of The Maltese Falcon, which is obviously a famous movie, um, Humphrey Bogart, his character, uh, sends up uh, Bridget O'Shaughnessy to jail. And the last scene, Louise Walker in an elevator, and the old elevators had accordion doors, let's say. Uh, and when the doors closed, it looked like a cell, uh, a jail cell. Now, how many people have seen that movie, you know, how many times and never noticed that the director decided to end the movie there as she's moving into an elevator that looks like a jail cell? So I just think that there's just interesting things. Um, and, and because of that, I've read some interesting books. I read a, 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 a major book on Hitchcock, and I love Hitchcock movies and about his whole career and how he, he made movies and how he made decisions and what he did. So I just think I find it fascinating. Well, let's add one more. Let's add one more thing to that Maltese Falcon scene. And when the doors of the actual elevator close, the doors have bars on them also. Yeah. Uh, I meant to say that. Most people would would miss. Uh, So what did I forget to ask you? Uh, What should I have brought up that I I didn't bring up? Well, I I think the only thing that I would say is that the most important thing in life, uh, as we all work hard, is life balance. Uh, In my early years, as I'm building my career in banking, um, I worked really hard. I probably worked 60 hours a week. But the best advice I was ever given was by the president of our bank, First Business Bank, Joe Sanford. And I remember when when I got the advice and what he said. My wife was pregnant with our first child, my ex-wife now. Uh, And we were in Hollywood seeing a company, a client. We were driving back on the 101 freeway back to downtown. And he said, let me give you some advice. And the advice is that at 5 p.m. every day, shove everything in your briefcase and go home. Have dinner with your family. Give them baths or showers read them stories, and after they're in bed, open your briefcase and do work. But don't stay at the bank until seven or eight o'clock because children are really important and life's important, and I did that. Um, Except for the evening that I had a City of Hope activity in those days, which was maybe once a month, I was home every night uh, and I read stories and I gave them baths and whatever. And that's just the way my, I think that's the best thing I learned about life workout. And you didn't ask me about that, so I thought I would Thank you again for listening to The Road to Philanthropy. As a philanthropic advisor and a nonprofit consultant, I encourage people to get involved and volunteer in their community as well as make financial gifts. Currently, I'm serving on the board of Hallel 818 at Cal State Northridge, and I'm going to be the vice chairman of the board of Safe Parking LA which provides parking for the homeless who live in their vehicles. I encourage you all to get involved. Also, I'd like to give you a recap in case you just joined us recently on the Road to Philanthropy about some of our previous guests. They've included Lisa Tabak, 
Director of Philanthropy for the Jewish Community Federation of San Francisco, Sarah Jennings, Senior Philanthropy Officer for the V Foundation, Fighting Cancer, Michael Lawrence, working for Beit Izzy Shapiro as the Head of Development, an Israeli nonprofit that provides young adults, children, and even some older adults. In addition, we met with philanthropist Lisa Greer, who wrote the book, Philanthropy Revolution. We interviewed Larry and Laura Cohen, philanthropist in the community, both at UCLA and Jewish causes. Cindy Rogerway spoke about interest-free dreams with the Hebrew Loan Association. Casey Summer, legal firm for nonprofits, advising nonprofits. And the latest one, the founder of the Jewish Future Pledge, Mike Levin, who has a very interesting story to tell. I encourage you to listen. Thank you again for joining us on The Road to Philanthropy. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.